Welcome to the Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and today we'll be talking about some of the differences between training civilian and law enforcement students. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app. The best resource for any firearm instructor and their students is also free. Available for both Apple and Android devices. Search your app store for Concealed Carry Gun Tools today and download this free app. Find maps, gun businesses near you, legal summaries, articles, videos, training logs in this podcast. Don't miss a beat on the industry. Download the app today. Today, we are joined by Ray Massenberg from Armored Protection and Training. Welcome, Ray. How are things going today? Things are wonderful, Rob. How are things with you? Things are going good. Things are uh, uh, cold here in Ohio, but at the same time, the weekend looks like it's going to get going to get warmer. We're going to be out. We're going to be above the single digits, more into the uh, thirty degree weather. Then, uh, if you call that warm for some of the uh, southern people uh, that listen to the podcast, that is warm for us in Ohio when it comes to February. Well, for those listeners, well, we're expecting and, it. Or go ahead, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say I was, we're expecting the same weather in Michigan. So <laughs> uh, it's not too bad. It's it's winter time. What do you expect? It's supposed to be cold. Good thing is we got snow on the ground. I always said if there's going to be if it's going to be cold, at least give me some snow, something better to look at than brown grass, brown trees, all that. Well, hey Ray, everybody may not be familiar with who Ray Massenberg is. Can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and uh, your expertise in the field of firearm training? Sure. Um, you know, at, when we talked before the podcast, I mentioned that uh, I've been teaching pretty much uh, three quarters of my life. Um, I started out as a uh, vocational ed instructor licensed by the state of Michigan, and I started uh, shooting when I was 14. So I started competitive uh, rifle shooting with my high school ROTC team um, and have shot ever since. Um, as far as firearms training is concerned, I, I started uh, as an instructor in 2012, uh, and I've been um, adding certifications and adding uh, the ability to do more training uh, ever since then. Oh, that's uh, really good. I appreciate you uh, taking time to be on, be on the podcast because I think one of the things that, as firearm instructors, we think about all the time is, you know, now, how can we help out law enforcement and help them, you know, up their training game? And at the same time, you know, how does that how does that apply when it comes to you know teaching civilians? And I think you kind of cross those two boundaries. And today's uh, topic, I think, will be very insightful for a lot of our instructors that are thinking about uh, training the uh, or trying to get into training law enforcement and trying to set their expectation properly when it comes to you know what what's the same and what's the difference when it comes to civilians. So the first question to you is how does somebody get into the law enforcement training? Because it's not as if they've got help wanted ads in the Sunday newspapers, you know, asking for firearm trainers to come down to the police station and teach them how to use a gun. Sure. Um, well, there's, there's absolutely a vetting process that every agency uh, puts. Um, and it, it, comes down to getting your foot in the door really is about references that you have in your background 
and who you know. Um, if you can get with somebody that's that's actually in the uh, the agency that you want to work for, uh, particularly somebody that's in the training department, or if you have uh, somebody that's uh, close to command staff that can throw your name out, um, that'll be a, a huge help, and that'll help you um, with the rest of the process going on. Um, you're going to have to definitely go through a background check, and they're going to check your credentials. Uh, one of the big things that they're going to look for is what organizations do you belong to? What professional training organizations do you belong to? Uh, are you a member of any um, law enforcement training organization? And have you been certified by any of those organizations to teach? That's another big hurdle that you have to get, uh, get over. Um, you have to remember that there's going to be legal requirements for every department. Um, the department itself, um, their training is scrutinized um, tremendously by their command staff, by um, government agencies, by um, the attorney general. Um, every agency is, is certified by some or other organization. For instance, here in Michigan, uh, we have something called MCOLS, and MCOLS certifies all of the um, law enforcement personnel in the state of Michigan. So all of the training that's done for law enforcement has to be um, approved or done in a way that's approved by MCOLS. So um, for whatever agency you're going to work for, you find out who the certifying agency is and you find out what their requirements are um, because you're going to need to know that. Mm -hmm. um, the agency is going to want to know what value you're going to bring to that department. Um, what what do you add that they don't already have? Now, one thing may be that they just simply don't have enough instructors, and you'd be another body that they could um, throw in to teach whatever classes they're currently teaching. Um, on the other hand, what they may be looking for is something very specialized. So, if you have a specialized skill, um, that can help them out. If you're uh, you know a, a carbine guy, or if you uh, you do tactical shotgun or even if you do um, tech medical training, that would be a big plus to any agency as well. Um, I think going on, you need a knowledge of the department's policies. So if you can get your hands on that, um, that'll help you uh, to present your case. Because what you're really gonna have to do is you're gonna have to write a proposal. And in, in engineering, uh, actually um, in my degrees in engineering, uh, we call that a requirements document. So that requirements document in the engineering side is what specifies this is what you want and this is what I'm going to give you based on what you told me you want. It's the same thing in the firearms game when you're dealing with law enforcement. They want to know that you can actually come across and give them something that they need that's specified, that's written down, at the end of the course, the course objectives are this, that, and the other, and that's going to help your department because your officers will be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I think if there was one uh, organization that I can say in my background that would really help for those uh, civilian trainers that are looking to break into the uh, law enforcement side is the International Association of Law Enforcement Fire Instructors. Um, you can go. You can go along and become a, an associate member of that uh, fairly easily. You don't have to be, you know, be law enforcement for it, and that opens up the door for training um, 
from a fireman uh, instructor certification for master uh, instructor uh, designation for it. And those are uh, courses that they teach around the country. And we've uh, we've had um, uh, Ken on before to talk about um, developing uh, courses, which if somebody's looking to propose something to an agency, they may want to go back and, you know, re-listen to that uh podcast that we had Ken on and, you know, get some of that background. And just like you said, you know, understand what the po- policies and procedures are, because unlike in the civilian world where you know, a lot of things boil down to, you know, can you articulate a, a belief that you were in fear of, you know, grave uh, bodily danger or death, um, p- agencies have a whole book of policies and, you know, use of force, when they can use it, how they can use it, uh, different things along those lines. And that's where being a trainer that's familiar with all that can really, really uh, escalate you, you know, in, in their eyes because they don't have to worry about what you're training if you're already familiar with what, what or how things have to be trained in order to be in compliant with policy. Yes. And another great thing about becoming a member is they have a wealth of information and a wealth of documents and manuals that you can purchase um, without um, actually being a law enforcement instructor uh, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Once you become a member, you can purchase all that. And those documents are very well respected across the country. They are um, put together by people from uh, sheriff's departments, from state police, from federal law enforcement, um, and from noted civilian trainers as well. And they're done in such a way that all of those um, people get together and agree on what those procedures and those training policies should be. And that's really, um, you know, a lot of people might not be aware of it, but that's a, where a lot of the agencies get their policies from is they, they get those documents and they use that to build their own policy. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, as you said about getting your foot in the door and having good references, uh, you know, that would definitely be a good reference point because you'd be talking the same language, having the same kind of background, and then overlay on top of that a unique training course. And you could have uh, law enforcement agencies, especially get hooked up with, um, you know, local local or statewide uh, groups. And you could have, you know, live agencies wanting to come and, you know, demonstrate to them red dots or demonstrate how to go go along and be able to shoot and, and work a gun faster. Uh, the, you know, different things that are beyond what they do normally, you know, or what they get taught coming out of the academy. And the one thing people really have to realize from a law enforcement standpoint, they have mandatory uh, education hours that they have to put in every year. Um, and if you can get on those, that's great. But also realize that in a lot of cases, the Law enforcement officers aren't getting a ton of training because they've got to, you know, have, they got to have so many officers on the street at a time. They've only got so much budget. So you really got to find something that will pique their interest of how, you know, how can they go along and get you know, more mileage out of their training dollar or get their people trained up in a specific area uh, for it. Those are all, uh, you know, real, uh, real good money makers for you if you can go along and find find those that. that click off those uh, boxes in, in the people's minds and command staff. Yeah, I mean, you, you really have to be able to demonstrate value to the customer because, you know, they're, they're government agencies, which means they have fairly tight budgets. Uh, they've only got so many dollars to spend. They want to make those dollars go as far as possible while at the same time 
making sure that they're compliant with their training requirements and that their um, officers are um, getting as much as they can out of the training to perform better on the street. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, definitely. And one thing too to note is a lot of times instructors out there, I can post a concealed carry class or advanced concealed carry class 30 days before I want to put it on. And I will probably be able to fill that class. When it comes to agencies, you may have to work six, 12, maybe even 18 months out in advance to contact them, understand uh, what they need or tell them what you can provide and then have them work that into their budget so that it can get approved and then and then get it get a schedule the following year for it. It's uh, got a lot longer lead time to it than most uh, instructors are used to that that are doing uh, concealed carry classes. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to um, do a good job, I think you're right on the money. Six to 18 months ahead of time is when you really have to start contacting them. Mm-hmm. Yep. A couple of the uh, law enforcement agencies that I've ha- uh, that I've gone along and, and uh, they've come to my classes, they've actually registered uh, six to nine months out in advance because they were looking for a class. They saw my classes, so they registered for it. And it's another one of those uh, pieces about organizing your annual schedule. It can be very beneficial to have something out there uh, months in advance and not just 30 days because people will be looking for it. And if they find it, they, in one of my cases, had an agency from North Dakota come all the way down to Ohio for a class. That's, uh, that's because I was the only one with that class in the United States that was listed. And... Uh, it went well, but it goes along and shows you the, how much of a lead time you really need to think about from an instructor standpoint. I'll tell you what, Ray, what about civilian trainings? What, what are some of the differences in, uh, in approach? Uh, you know, we covered some of it as far as lead time, but what, what are some of the other uh, differences uh, in your mind? Well, Rob, let me let you in on a secret. Um, and that's that regardless of whether it's civilian or law enforcement training, um, I basically treat every um, everyone is a new shooter, whether they're civilian or law enforcement. If they have experience when they come in, um, I try and make them better when they leave. If they don't have any experience, then we teach the fundamentals and we kind of drive that home and we make sure that they understand those fundamentals before they leave. So, you know, the, the, the secret is that, that the, the basics of putting lead down range are the same. Um, as far as marksmanship is concerned, as far as shooting from cover, all those things, they, they, they blend together on the law enforcement side and, and on the civilian side. The civilian side really is, is primarily like a subset of, of what the law enforcement side trains. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of instructors out there that have never done any law enforcement training that would be of great value to a lot of law enforcement agencies by simply teaching those firearms basic fundamentals. Um, you know, grip, stance, that kind of thing. Uh, when cadets go into the academy, the instructors are going to treat them that way. They don't care if they've been ex-military, if they came from another department, it doesn't matter. They're still going to start off with basic fundamentals. This is a gun. This is the muzzle. This is the trigger. You know, this is how it's disassembled. So those skills are valuable for instructors on both sides of the fence. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when we had uh, Mike Sinklander on uh, many podcasts ago, um, yeah, he went along and mentioned that you know the difference between a average shooter and a great shooter is the execution of the basics. You know, it's it's not that you got to have some super secret sauce in order to be a be a world champion. It's that you have to execute the basics. You know, your the side alignment, the trigger control, the the grip, all those better than the average person. And you know, that's a great way of uh, you know, you know, as you were talking about between you know whether it's military, law enforcement, or civilians, they need to execute the basics well in order to be able to shoot well. If they don't execute uh, the basics, then they're going to be all over the place. You know, maybe a bullseye. But or maybe they might miss a paper altogether because they're not they're not executing the basics properly. Absolutely, and you, you could probably throw those those fundamentals into into two big buckets. One bucket being run the gun, and the other bucket being all the legal stuff that you need to know about running that gun. Um, you know, there's there's a lot more to it than a student, a typical. Um, concealed carry student knows coming into the class about what they need to know about the legal aspects of carrying, using, storing, and possessing a firearm. Um, And on the law enforcement side, there's all that plus more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I begin my uh, concealed carry classes letting the students know that probably over 80% of what they think they know about a gun is wrong, and we're going to teach them the right way. And it's wrong from the standpoint of they base that belief on what they've seen in movies, shows, and such. You know, you can take and, you know, without even aiming, just, you know, pop off rounds and people fall over, you know, immediately. And in reality, it just doesn't happen like that. And that's where people need to have a good uh, dose of reality. And just like you said, when it comes to the uh, law enforcement, law enforcement needs to needs to not only know how the gun works, but they also need to know the policy and procedures and the law and how all that applies for so that they can do their jobs correctly and also keep themselves and their agency out of the hot water of going along violating somebody's rights or doing something, you know, wrong uh, legally. Definitely. Even something, you know, that may seem kind of simple on the civilian training side can be a big deal on the law enforcement side. Let me give you an example would be something like uh, muzzle up versus muzzle down ready position. One agency is going to say muzzle up, one agency is going to say muzzle down. You need to know the difference. You need to know what, what applies at the agency that you're proposing to work for. And if you use, if you do the wrong one, you are in a lot of trouble. With and a lot of trouble means that you're not going to get invited back, <laughs> in other words, too. At the very least. And, and unfortunately, you know, I mentioned uh, references and credentials beforehand. Uh, that's going to seriously um, injure your credibility. You, you have to realize that, um, you know, if you're uh, an instructor that's not uh, fully uh, employed by that particular agency, you're not a uh, member of the Detroit Police Department uh, training division and Detroit Police Department isn't on your paycheck, you're still an extension of their training division. And you represent them just as much as any one of their employees does. And anything you do reflects back on that department just like any one of their employees does. Mm -hmm. 
most most definitely and uh that's where good references good uh you know good certifications and you know go along give them uh, value for the training they're going to pay you for for what what do you think from a law enforcement standpoint what what are some of the uh you know big differences that you see in law enforcement training classes versus you know civilian training classes um well uh certainly the the uh makeup of the student um you know in general um you know cops are type a personalities um and they have strong wills and you know that can be a challenge if you're not um, prepared to deal with that um a lot of them also have military backgrounds and you know, if you don't come out with command presence, they're going to eat you alive. Also, another big difference that I see is that, that law enforcement, generally, they like structure and they like order. Um, so you have to be prepared. You have to um, have your ducks in the row. Um, you have to have a plan. You have to stick to the plan that you tell them you're going to do at the beginning of class. And they tend to respect that quite a bit. Um, whereas, you know, on the civilian side, you might be able to get away with being a, a little less rigid, um, in what you're doing. Or in the civilian side, I could see where not being rigid could be a benefit, but that's where you need to adjust, you know, according to the people that you are training. I mean, we've talked about before on the civilian side, you can have people that are 20, 20, 21 years old taking your classes, or they could be 80 years old. That's going to be a big big difference when it comes to the physical capability of it and what you may have to do from an adult learning perspective to get that person to understand what you're trying to uh, train them on. But when you're talking about uh, your law enforcement, you're pretty much going to be focused on 20 to you know, mid-50s at best. You know, I don't, don't see too many law enforcement officers that, you know, continue on in the career, at least, uh, you know, actively uh, going training, you know, when they're in their 60s and 70s. There, there are obviously some some one-offs, but most of them, you know, that I know at least, you know, retire before they're 60 so they can still enjoy, you know, their, their retirement and such. Yeah, I mean, I, the words that I would probably use to describe the difference between the two types of students would be um, civilian students need more coaching, so, you know, you demonstrate, you let them try it out, you coach them, you know, as much as they need. Um, law enforcement, basically, they need um, instruction. And that instruction, by instruction, I mean instruction and instructions. And what they like is they like, tell me what to do, demonstrate it, and let me go do it. They tend to follow orders very well because that's their, that tends to be, you know, what they do day in and day out. They have commanders, they have sergeants. Um, if, if they're given instructions, they follow instructions. Um, but they have to be given clear instructions and they have to be given instructions that make sense. Uh, again, if, if you're, you know, if you're, if you're trying to fake it to make it, they'll sniff that out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Just, uh, you know, get the experience and all that and don't fake it because it's, uh, Way too, way too valuable or way too risky of a uh, industry to be in to be faking uh, firearms and such. What what are any other perspectives between the two uh, student student bodies that you would say uh, if you you've noticed in your in your uh, 
years of teaching? Well, uh, I think that, that some of the most interesting classes I had were civilian classes where um, a law enforcement student of mine uh, recommended that a buddy of theirs take the class. So we had a mix in the class of, you know, current full-time law enforcement and, you know, grandma and all kinds of other civilians in the same class. And they really seemed to um, feed off of each other as far as, you know, knowledge and, and working together. And, and it was really a good mix. Um, and I, I learned a lot just by watching the interaction between those law enforcement students and the civilian students in the same class that, that really taught me by looking at that interaction what each one of those types of students responds to. Yeah, it's definitely, and I can say from my own personal experience, when I took the um, ILFE uh, fire instructor course, uh, that was a combination of veteran law enforcement officers taking the course and a group of us civilian instructors. And it was very interesting to, A, the way we approach things differently and how they approach things. And we got into some very good conversations about, you know, which one would be better and which one makes um, more sense at the, at the proper time. Um, one, one of the ones, perfect example, was uh, talking to a SWAT commander. And we, you would never, 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 as a civilian, have students downrange while people are firing guns. Mm -hmm. But from a SWAT perspective, his officers need to know what it was like to be in front of the muzzle um, and hear bullets go flying past them. But as he recognized, as he went along and would say, you don't do that with somebody who's completely green, who you don't have a confidence level. And when he said they, they do those, you know, not frequently, but uh, a couple times a year, just to keep everybody on their toes and also make sure that, hey, when we say we're going forward, that we're, you're walking in a straight line and the people that are behind you that are firing also go along and before they press that trigger, you know, make sure that you haven't deviated for some reason and, you know, putting all those, uh, you know, brain, uh, brain, uh, analysis in, in place, because if you are in a, you know, a, a wild firefight, you need to know and make sure that a, you know what it feels like and what it sounds like to have bullets go flying past your head. And B, if you're back behind people and you have to shoot past them, that you can do it confidently without hitting your own own people. And that was one of those to where it's like, from a civilian standpoint, I would never do that. But from a SWAT commander standpoint and having your guys have confidence in their shooting, have confidence in their buddies that are behind them, um, it's in, probably invaluable, to say the least. It is. And, you know, we have to look at what, what the training objective for whatever class it is that we're talking about um, actually is. If, if that training objective is to inoculate those SWAT officers with that gunfire and with that smoke and with that, you know, muzzle flash going off right near them, then that's a great way to do it. Um, if the goal is, let's say, from a different perspective, you're teaching a law enforcement class that's um, a qualification class that you've, you've developed a course of fire that mimics their qualification course and your class you know is the purpose or the objective is to get these um, these officers to pass their qualification totally different lesson plan totally different way of running the class 
Um, if you have a class that you're running that's going to be, let's say, um, the objective is to get um, remediated officers to pass their qualification, which would be an officer who's already failed their qualification multiple times and they're on the verge of losing their job, whole different lesson plan, whole different mm -hmm. way to plan the class. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, those learning objectives are key to civilian classes as well as law enforcement classes because those learning objectives is what she should be selling the class to civilians on and the learning objectives is also what the agency is going to be looking at to see you know are they going to spend money with you and you know when those officers get done do they get their uh, money's worth uh, from the training that you gave them based upon the learning objectives that you said you were going to that you were going to do achieve yeah i mean you know in, in that proposal what i'm going to do is i'm going to say this is what i'm going to do uh, this is what your guys are going to learn, and this is what we can measure, use to measure whether those objectives were met. And, and that's part of me getting paid is to make sure that I, I meet those objectives and that those students actually complete the requirements of the course. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been uh, very insightful because, uh, you know, we talked or I don't do a majority of law enforcement training. You know, when it comes up, I definitely take advantage of it. Um, but it's been very enlightening uh, to see from your perspective, uh, Ray, and the training that you've done along the lines. So I appreciate your, appreciate your perspective. But here's, here's the uh, question that I'm sure all our listeners are wait, waiting for you to, to answer. But can you name an influential instructor or book that you would recommend to other instructors? Um, yeah, I think probably the, um, the first one that I'd recommend would be Practical Shooting by Brian Enos. Um, and one of the reasons that I recommend that book and one of the reasons I reread re that book probably every year is there's a, a section in the foreword which was done by Rob Latham and Rob's um, comment about Brian is there's only one person in the world I would allow to talk to any of my students and that's Brian. So if Rob Latham thinks that about Brian Enos, I think he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, well, uh, Rob Latham, uh, he, know, he knows a few things too. So he's, he does. Uh, if, if I could recommend a second book as well. Okay. Um, I don't have the author next to me right now, but it's uh, the name of the book is called Coach to Coach. And it's written by a, a gentleman that is um, giving perspective on um, the life of being a coach and the effect that coaches have on people's lives, not just their sports life or their football life or anything like that, but their life after they graduate from college and their life uh, in the business world. And I, it's really probably the best book I've ever read on um, how to make yourself a better trainer or how to make yourself a better teacher. And, and that's really what we're talking about. I think that, that everybody listening to your podcast is an instructor. You know, we know how to, how to shoot a gun. We know how to, you know, load a gun. We know how to clean a gun. And, and a lot of instructors out there that are good shooters, um, they could have become better instructors if they practiced instructing more. Mm -hmm. Profound thought there. And a lot. Thank you. And a lot. Yep. Sometimes being a better uh, firearm instructor isn't necessarily more shooting. It's more 
uh, you know, look, looking at the other softer skills from the instruction and the adult learning and all those. That's uh, great. Well, Ray, where can people find more information about you? Maybe some of the classes that you're teaching, uh, your upcoming schedule? Um, well, uh, one way would be to uh, have a Google business site, which is Armor Protection Training LLC, Armor Protection and Training LLC. And um, I can also give you my email address. Um, so if anybody wants to contact me there, I would be more than happy to, to, to chat with anybody. So the email address is armored, A-R-M-O-R-E-D, protection, training, uh, one word, armored protection training at gmail.com. Okay. And as always, I will have those in the show notes for people that are driving or don't have a pen handy and uh, want to remember what that is. So you can look in the show notes and find that out. So, Ray, thank you again for your time. Um, really great to meet you and uh, hear your input for things. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank great. you for having me. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We have a few requests for our loyal listeners. Um, go out, check out our website. We've got a lot of uh, great uh, inventory of podcasts that you can go along, look and uh, search to find which ones have Mike Seatlander on it, who different topics that you might be interested in. They're all on our website. You can also go along and we'd like you to share our podcast, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, anywhere on your social media to get people to, uh, to understand what we're trying to do here and making instructors better uh, trainers in the firearm industry. For it. If they don't know about it, then obviously they can't they can't take advantage of all the great guests that we have on our show. If you have any ideas for new shows, suggestions on guests to have on the shows, or feedback, please email us at FTP com. Also, visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at FTAProtect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 at checkout. Like and rate our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to our podcast at. And remember, we bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and the most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe out there, everybody. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.